heralded his doominess onto me. Incoming transmission. Engage house party protocol. Mark 4, powering up. Mark 17, powering up. Mark 44, powering up. All suits are online. Welcome to house party protocol. Power up suits and welcome in to another episode of House Party Protocol. My name is Will, and with me today is my good friend from the Great White North, where I'm told it is still winter. Like, I don't know how it works. You know, I, I think that somewhere you cross a border and snow just never ceases to exist. It's the one and only Leland from Aegis Brand Studios. What's happening, my guy? That's not much. I'm uh, just just recovering from a from a light bout of uh, of sickness. Uh, I'm sure everyone can kind of guess what probably hit me, but uh, you know I'm I'm doing pretty good. Otherwise, and uh, and yeah, in some places in Canada, there's there's still some snow. I I heard talk that there's snow in Kamloops today. So I don't even know what that is, but makes perfect <laughs> sense to me. <laughs> there you go. Well, Leland, I really appreciate you joining me today. We've got a pretty exciting bit of news that's come out. Our first character reveal in what feels like forever. It has been a really long time, hasn't it? Yeah, I'm not really sure. Like, I guess the grunts were the last character reveal that we had, and that's been what feels like months ago. Yeah, I, I think uh, I know we uh, we last spoke about uh, Fury, and that was like back in February, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so we have a character reveal for Black Swan. So we're going to be talking about her today, and then we also are going to be talking just some different random questions that have popped up. But before we get too deep into that, I do want to let the suits know out there that um, today's podcast, I'm trying something a little different with my audio. Again, we're, we're still trying to kind of figure out my new audio setup situation. I don't have sound panels on these very flat, very reflective walls around me. So currently, like I'll take a picture, I think, and put this in the House Party Protocol Discord because I think it's hilarious if I can. Take a, I can't take a picture from the outside, and my wife's definitely not going to do that, but I will take a picture of what it looks like inside this little cocoon I have made for myself. We're calling this the recording cocoon uh, because I've taken a blanket, a comforter blanket, draped it over me and my like setup here to hopefully, and this is very much a hopefully, make all the audio sound good. So if this ends up not sounding good, it's all your fault, Leland, and I blame you completely. I, I understand. Well, anyways, that's very kind of you, very Canadian of you, and I appreciate you, just so you know. And also, oh, I got to ask, did you end up making it out to the Torchlight Games tournament they had recently? No, unfortunately, the, the Torchlight event was actually on the day I got back from, uh, from a work trip from northern Alberta. So oh. I was not able to attend, sadly. Oh, well, that's unfortunate, but uh, I saw that it looked like they were having some good games up there. So if the people at Torchlight are listening and want to sponsor some show giveaways, maybe hit me up. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I, I I definitely want to hit up the next one. I mean, Torchlight is only a hop, skip, and a jump for me. Nice, About nice. 40 minutes away, yeah. That's awesome. And I'm also feeling ever so slightly more Canadian myself today. Not that I'm any way Canadian, but uh, I was watching hockey today and uh, go <laughs> Hurricanes. I don't know if anybody else is a hockey fan out there. I'm sure some people out there listening are. But, uh, yeah, Hurricanes took a... 2-1 overtime victory to the Rangers today. It took them about all of the game to score. About all of it. <laughs> well, I, I'm very happy for you. My uh, my beloved Leafs are golfing today, so. I mean, isn't that what they do, though? <laughs> that, that hurts me to my core. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just too good of a joke to pass up because it's so um, true. Uh, I look. I, I, at I least I get to watch the Battle of Alberta and get to watch the Edmonton goalie and the Calgary goalie just beat up on each other, and that's good fun. Oh, yeah. That's always fun. It's always a good time, and, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I don't watch hockey all the time. I'm a casual yeah. hockey fan. I do love the Hurricanes, and this this has me thinking of 2006 and fingers crossed for another cup to the Carolinas. That'd be amazing. But That'd be, that'd be great, yeah. I, I'm I'm just happy that for once the Leafs didn't get beaten out by Boston. That mm. that makes me very happy. Yeah, I could see that. And you look, the this the future is bright for the Leafs right now. They they seem to look okay. Yeah, we say that at the end of every season. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, speaking of bright futures, I think that Marvel Crisis Protocol ha might have a star on their hands here with this new character reveal and it's the one and only Black Swan. And Leland, it's been so long since we've done a character review on this show. I've got to remember how to do this. And I know the first thing we do is we take a look at this model. So what do you think, as someone who is a pretty accomplished painter yourself, of Black Swan? Well, the model itself is, and I, I don't know if this is the pose or the photo or what, um, but the model feels a little underwhelming just from what we've seen so far. And I suspect it has the same problem that uh, that a couple different uh, miniature companies have where they they take a very awkward photo of it. Yeah. And I think it's happening in this case because like it, it almost looks like the pose that she's in. It almost looks like she has a bit of an arched back going on. You know, she's she's tearing whatever that is apart. Uh, it looks like an um, an Iron Man suit or something like that that she's tearing apart. But it, it just, it looks a little awkward to me. Yeah, and I can see that. And, you know, yeah, she's like, definitely, sure. since she's somewhat of a villain, I think it makes sense to think she's tearing apart an Iron Man suit. I, I think that tracks. Yeah. And, like, I think it's one of those models that once I get it in my hand and I see it in person, I'm probably going to feel a little bit differently about it. But uh, just I, I, I like I said the I don't know if it's the angle they they took the photo on or what, but it just it looks a little off to me. So on their website, you can go down and and kind of zoom in on the like the turnaround version. You know what I mean? Like it's got like a three sixty degree spin, which for the record, I highly highly recommend that people do the three sixty spin thing to get a better sense of what some of these models look like. And it looks like she's doing that thing that you see villains do sometimes where they're like ripping something apart and bursting their chest through it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely see what you're talking about on that one. Um, and I, I think that's why it, it looks so awkward from a static, uh, from a static perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I also 
love, like the one thing I'd love about this model is the face. Like she looks so menacing in this picture. That she does. Like she is having yeah. a good time, but also is about to just wreck someone. Like that's what that face says to me. She's like, I'm loving ripping this Iron Legion, Doombot, Ultron bot, drone, Nick Fury, decoy body in half right now. Yeah, and, and props to whoever painted that face. They did a they did a great job on it. It looks incredible. And you know, I don't know about you, Leland, but I see some uh, ample opportunities for hobbying here where like, okay, if you don't like the little Iron Man thing that you're ripping apart there, you could use the extra Deadpool body. That's exactly what I was thinking, actually. Yeah. And then there's also like an extra Spider-Man head in the core set. There's the extra Cyclops head. That could go with a Wolverine. Oh, yep. A Wolverine. Oh, man, that'd be that'd be so cool. Somebody out there is going to do like a Wolverine head with like a little adamantium skeleton coming out. Oh man, that'd be so cool. It would be horribly expensive, but a Hulkbuster. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, that'd be horribly expensive. But yeah, it's also very cool. Also very cool. So yeah, I like this sculpt. And this is one of those where like on those off times that I actually do paint models, I'll just paint her up like the comic book version here because I think that does look pretty cool overall. Yeah, I, I think it'll it'll be a fun model to paint. Anytime I get a chance to paint sort of like the paler or white skin is always kind of an interesting one for me because I just it's it's a nice little challenge. It's something outside my wheelhouse and it's always fun to take on. Exactly. Exactly. And speaking of fun things to take on, let's dive into this character card because Lord have mercy, there is a lot going on here. And let's start with the character's name, Black Swan, with an alter ego of Black Swan. So, per the rules here, if they did come out with another version of this character, you could have both in your roster, but only one in your squad on the tabletop at the same time. And she has a, now, it's not so much top stat line anymore as it is leftish stat line, right? It's definitely something we're seeing a little bit more often these days the stat line yeah well the orientation is really what i'm talking about here because the cards now oh, you're talking about the new layout exactly the new layout so they they are going to be going forward i guess this is it starting with this the new layout uh because i, we, I have a sad panda you don't like it i i get why they're doing it and i'm all for accessibility it's just unfortunate i i don't aesthetically i don't like the black on white yeah like the big wall of stuff yeah i can see that but, but, I, but I get it and i support them in their attempt to make the game more accessible exactly so we're all about that around here but uh now i can't say it's top stat line so i guess i've got to come up with a new word for this is it like leftmost quadrant uh left left justified hmm. left justified Stat line, that sounds terrible. Top stat line. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a four physical defense, a four energy defense, and a three mystic defense. She has a stamina value of six, a threat value of four, a size of two, and she moves medium. Now, it's worth noting that she is on a 35 millimeter base, so a standard movement there, but a pretty nice little bit of defenses, I think. A 4-4-3 is pretty solid. 
Oh yeah, no, for sure. I like that's that's going to keep her going through the course of the game quite nicely. Absolutely, and then that six stamina is pretty strong there too. It's really hard to kind of one shot characters with six stamina. I have done it before, but it took a lot of effort with a Doctor Strange and a lot of rerolls. See, it happens to me when I just roll all skulls for my defense, right? Yep, yep. That's usually when it happens for me too. But it's important to note here that. As we go through her card, nothing changes on the injured side. So, uh, Leland, you want to go over the attacks? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, right at the very start, we have the the typical physical strike attack, which is a range 2, strength 5, which means 5 dice for 0 power. And it has the, the typical uh, power generation for equal to damage dealt. Uh, and then it has a saucy little wild push, which is uh, for size 4 or less which is uh, dealt out before damage. So that is an important thing to note right there. Before damage is dealt on the push. So that means you have to actively decide whether or not you might want to get an objective. But I don't want to gloss over the fact, though, that it's also size 4. So mm -hmm. in the rebalance 1.5, changing some characters around thing that happened a little while ago, we noticed that size four displacement was a much more rare thing. Like Shuri can't displace size four anymore and the Black Panther can't do it. It's not size unrestricted, stuff like that. So seeing a size four displacement here on a wild push is really nice. So like, I think she's going to play really well into characters like Hulk, Hulkbuster, Juggernauts currently all over the place. That's that's really spicy, I think. For sure. In fact, Juggernaut was my very first uh, my very first thought when I saw this. That that's that's a nice way to kind of control him a little bit. Exactly, and every little bit helps and stuff like this. But I will say again, it's before damage is dealt, so you have to be really careful if you're about to KO somebody or daze someone, and they're going to drop an objective. Don't forget the short tool is longer than the range two tool. So if you push them and you don't push them into terrain and you push them out of range to pick up an objective and stuff like that, you could be in trouble. Well, it's also very important if you want to double tap them, right? Exactly, exactly. And there's no guarantee that you're going to hit that push on that second attack. So you definitely got to keep that in mind. For sure. So next up, we have an energy attack with I-Beam, which is a range three, five dice attack, for one power, and uh, it's got a, a spicy little uh, bit of tech here where it just puts the incinerate condition on them after the attack is resolved, uh, as well as a wild pierce. Ooh, nice. And for those that are the maybe joining us for the very first time, what's a wild pierce do? The wild pierce is um, when you roll wild, you can change one of the defending character's crits, wilds, or shields uh, results to a blank. Nice. I love it. Very strong. It helps attacks be consistent. And on five dice, you're not likely to hit that all the time, but it's one of those things where the fact that it's there, it makes it just that much more reliable. But I see what you did there with talking about a spicy bit of an attack here. The automatic incinerate at range three. Oh, it's music to my ears, brother. Yeah, for the record, I don't think you're using I-Beam for damage. I think you're using I-Beam to put Incinerate on someone. 
Oh, I 100% agree with that. But the fact that it has that pierce on there means that not only are you good incinerating them, period. As long as they're not immune, you are incinerating them, period. And then splashing a little damage on there too. I'm here for it, dude. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm definitely not going to say no to that. Yeah, I'm. I I think that this this sing one single attack. When I read her card, this right here means I'm finding a way to get her on the table in as many teams as I can because I love incinerating people. Oh, it's such a great status condition. It's it's definitely one of the best ones up there at the moment. Right, and if you're playing an attrition style team. I don't see why Black Swan wouldn't be in there just based on this, let alone what we're about to talk about with the rest of her card. Continue on, sir. All right. So next up, we have another physical attack called Everything Dies, which is a range two, eight dice attack for four power. So this is a big spender for her. Uh, it has a couple abilities with it. It has a wild throw, which has no size restriction on it. Goodbye, Dormammu. And it's got... Yep. And then it's got a um, another uh, another trigger, which is just on a roll of a hit. It has follow-up, which the text for that says, after this attack is resolved, this character may make an I-beam attack without paying the power cost, and the additional I-beam attack must target the original character, and it ignores range and line of sight. So, okay. oh boy. Yeah, everything definitely dies with this attack. Like... Holy moly. So I don't think you mentioned it. It is a physical attack. And so I guess that you could say that's the only possible, like maybe something doesn't die because they have strong physical defenses, maybe. But when we're looking at this attack, four power for eight dice, size unrestricted throw, and the follow-up, all you have to do is roll a hit. But to be fair, to be fair, I have definitely seen attacks where you roll like two wilds, a critical, some shields, and a skull. No hits. I've seen oh, that happen. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, it's happened to me way too many times. Yeah. Like I always say, Leland, dice are going to dice, but I would say your odds are really good of hitting this. Like, I don't think anything odds-wise is 100% in Crisis Protocol, but you're rolling eight dice. There's two hit faces on every die. I would say that's as close to 100% as you get. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure somebody's done the math out there. Uh, I do think it's very important to note, though, that the wild throw is also not a may. So yes. you have to keep that in mind. You are tossing whoever you're hitting with that if you get that wild. Exactly. That is a really great point, Leland, because they're going for a ride. So objectives and everything like that. Like, look, if you're using Black Swan to be like an objective player and the objective is not to murder... You know, more power to you. I respect your decisions. But yeah, you're going to have to factor this kind of thing in when you are using her is that that's it's they're moving. And honestly, who doesn't love throwing a Dormammu? Now, if you want to go one step further, though, you also notice that it's not throwing the target character away. So you can actually pick someone up and yeet them towards the rest of your team as well. Oh, yeah. So there's a lot that I love about this. Again. Another great point. It is direction unrestricted, or as normal people say, omnidirectional. And yep. don't forget that the rules in Crisis Protocol say that you ignore the character doing the throw. So yep. there's a lot of fun shenanigans, I think, with this attack. And then let's not forget that you've just rolled eight dice physical 
into a character, and now you're then going to turn around and roll an I-beam into him. I mean, I'm I'm so here for it, dude. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Now, imagine you also have an additional four power after that. Oh, I mean, that's that's nightmare scenario for whoever is going to die because everything dies. <laughs> I think your game plan has gone pear-shaped if, if you're in that position. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, exactly. So... I really like all of these attacks. I think that we're building a picture of a character here that is purpose-built and wildly focused on the killing. And I, I love it. I'm here for it. And I'm terrified of it. But oh, let's, for sure. yeah. let's dive into these superpowers now. So first up, she has an active superpower that we've seen a time or two. Active superpower, it will cost you two power charge as an action so it costs you two power and one of your actions this character immediately makes a move action followed by an attack action this superpower can be used only once per turn so a move and attack seen it before it's wonderful and on a character that is designed to kill it is nigh imperative that they have something like this for uh, people to respect their death possibilities. Oh yeah, no, I, I think I think a character like this without charge actually would have been kind of a feel bad. Um, and I, I like the fact that they're just really leaning into that hyper aggressiveness. Exactly, and it's one of those things where like there's plenty of characters in this game that are designed to kill that don't have charge. Don't get me wrong, but I think that this is one of those things where when you read her attack suites, two, three, two. So she needs to get in there. And if she's not got the tools to get in there and you're having to move attack every time, it feels a little bit lackluster. So this is a really nice bit of kit for her, I think. And it's going to see a lot of use. So the next superpower we've got is Midnight Field. It's a reactive superpower. So that means there's going to be a trigger that we're going to read here. I'll point that out to you. And it is going to have a, a way for this to happen. So reactive superpower, midnight field. It's going to cost you power cost of X. It's important to note that anytime you see a power cost of X, you can't reduce that with things like Steve Rogers' leadership and stuff like that. They have to pay the full amount no matter what. So when this character is defending, so there you go. There's your trigger right there. When this character is defending, it may spend any amount of power to use this superpower during the modify opponent's dice step of the attack. For each power spent to use this superpower, this character may change one wild in the attack roll to a blank. That's a lot to unpack. So let's break it down a little bit, Leland. What do you think? Oh, uh, I mean, this, this is the ability I wish the Invincible Kingpin had. <laughs> <laughs> you know the, the unkillable one. Yes, your um, your unkillable kingpin. My my unkillable kingpin. Yes, uh, caught on video. Uh, I love this ability. It it is a little bit of a pared down Modoc ability uh, by being able to blank out the wilds, but it can be insanely powerful, especially against anyone who's playing around with a lot of wild triggers. Exactly. So that's the thing. You. The important part of this one, I think, is the timing of it. So Marvel Crisis Protocol has 
a timing flowchart, an attack flowchart, if you will. And one of the important things is where things fall in that. So I'm going to pull it up here because I want to make sure that I get it right for you guys just as well as you can get it right on the tabletop. So the important thing here for the timing of this attack, all the way in step nine is where you modify dice. So the important part here is players modify their own dice first with attacker, then defender, and then players modify their opponent's dice, attacker, then defender. So that's where this happens. Attacker does their stuff first, then the defender. So then Black Swan would get hers. Now, why this is important is it kind of acts as a reverse pierce, much like the Mystic Armor of Strange that uh, Dr. Strange Sorcerer Supreme has. But the nice thing here is, and the reason why I think that this is really like well-balanced, so to speak, is the fact that she has to pay power. And if your opponent doesn't roll any wilds, if Black Swan's attacker doesn't roll any wilds, well, then this is just sitting there not doing anything. And I really kind of like that. It's, it's nice, because it doesn't feel as oppressive as Morok's ability, because that one's just kind of a catch-all, right? I, I do feel like there is a little bit more of uh, a cap on this one, because... As the Black Swan player, you're going to have to make the decision how much power do you want to put into it if you even have that ability to put the power into it, like if there's any wilds or anything like that. So I, I really dig the, this ability. I think this is actually a fantastic way of doing it. I think this is great. I think this shuts down a lot of like um, impact webbing type things that you could come across, you know, if you're sitting there and, and you're getting uh, Gwen doing an impact webbing into you and she rolls that wild and you're getting pushed off a point you can be like nope not happening and oh, yeah. i i think i think just in general like you always want to keep one or two power on black swan just to make sure she's not getting hit with any weird wild triggers that's exactly it is keeping one power and that's the thing i'm kind of picking up as we go through this character is power management here and like midnight field clearly a very strong ability but if you just dump all of your power on on one turn, and, and let's be honest, nobody's rolling six wilds unless they've gotten insanely lucky and something crazy has happened. Take a picture, play the lottery that day because it's not happening again. Uh, like somebody who rolls four skulls on a Clea getting power thing in a tournament match, you know, those kind of things. I should have played the lottery that day. I should have bought more Bitcoin, I guess. Nobody's, I don't know. Nobody's done that. There's no video evidence of that one. No, no. Totally never happened. It, it didn't happen at a critical and important juncture. But I digress. The, the thing is, when you look at something like this, being opportunistic with it, right? Like I'm, I'm kind of like fawning over it and sticking on this point because it's one of those things where I think for someone who might be a newer player, you see this and you're like, oh man, I'm just going to be spending all this power. You know, you can dump all this power. Realistically, it's going to be one or two power and it might not even be every attack. And if a character doesn't have any wild triggers, and they maybe just rolled a wild as a success, well then, yeah, sure, you're, you might want to do it then to prevent the damage and stuff like that, because this is her defensive tech right here. This is her defensive tech. This is how she survives being in the thick of it, like we talked about where she wants to be. So right. planning on this, like you said, saving a power or two to be able to do it 
is is going to be critical and timing it is also going to be very critical but i'm very excited to see kind of the patterns that emerge with this because you know she's only gaining one power a turn so we think and in doing so you power management is going to be really critical with her and if you're trying to hold back one power on midnight field that maybe means that you don't get to do and everything dies for a turn I, I mean, I, we'll come to this discussion a little bit later but i don't think she's actually as difficult to manage power wise as we might be thinking um and i mean you know take that however you will but we'll we'll discuss that a little bit later exactly her next superpower is another reactive superpower telepathic suggestion going to cost you one power when this character is attacking it can use this superpower during the modify opponent's dice step of the attack so now she's an attacker in this instance so it happens before the defender gets to modify their dice if it does it may re-roll one opposing defense die so it's the spider foe's leadership of old pay a power re-roll a defense die Simple, elegant. I like it. I love it. And like we said earlier about the consistency of Pierce, something like this makes her so consistent. And let's not forget, you always start with one power. Unless you're poisoned, I guess, then you could conceivably start with no power. But that's it. Let's just take that corner case out of it for a second. You always get a power phase to gain yourself one power. So having this available to you you're pretty much going to want to always use it if you're doing damage. Like if it looks like you're only getting one or two through, you're going to want to use this to get that power back and then start building your power. It's definitely a wonderful tool to have in the toolbox. Now, I don't know if I necessarily agree that you're always going to want to be spending the power on it, but again, that's, that'll be for, for the later discussion, I think, because I, I think we might have slightly different ideas on what this character is designed to do. Ooh, I'm excited to hear this. So finally, she has a couple of innate superpowers. First up, she has flight because, you know, she's got to charge into things. So, of course, she needs to fly over terrain to get to her targets. Next up, she has gem bearer power. So she is a bearer of the power gem. And for those that might not remember, the power gem says during the power phase, this character gains two additional power instead of the normal one for having an affinity gem. So basically she'll be getting three power a turn at that point. I love it. And that would also take her to a five threat character. And I still love it. Quite frankly, I, I don't actually see four on her card. I just see five threat. Like I honestly, unless you really need that extra, that extra threat, I don't see any reason why you'd never bring her without the power gem to be completely honest. Um, I think her kit relies a little bit too heavily on it. Okay, so let's talk about that now. Let's talk about the overall thoughts on this card and this character. As I mean, we've kind of been talking about it as we've gone along, but I think that we have some differences here. So Leland, I want you to go first and tell me what you think overall Black Swan is doing. Yeah, so overall, like I said, I, I think she is de facto a five-threat character. Uh, I think that's just generally how you run her. Um, and I think what she is, is she's a very aggressive control piece. I don't think she's your your beater character. I don't think she's the character that you send in to go assassinate characters or to take out tough uh, tough characters. I think she's the character that goes in there to kind of control the flow of the fight, to be completely honest. 
very interesting. I mean, look, I am not going to fully disagree with that because she does have some absolutely wonderful control elements. A strike with a wild push is very strong. Everything dies for four power, which if you have the power gem on her, she's only one power away from being able to do that. So everything dies with the omnidirectional throw is really strong. And she doesn't have great defensive tech. Like I spent a lot of time talking about Midnight Field, but I'd be remiss if I didn't say that it's not great defensive tech. It's good defensive tech. It's not rerolls. It's not counting blanks. It's not, you know, getting a critical out of a skull sometimes, like Corvus with the reality gem. It's not damage reduction. So it's not all of these things. I guess in a sense it's damage reduction that you pay for, in a sense, but there's no guarantee that anybody's even going to roll a wild. So it's it's definitely not the most potent bit of defensive tech that we've seen, but I do kind of see her as a character that's somewhat in the thick of it and plays with that control a little bit to her advantage. Oh yeah, like and I, I think that's the thing. Her entire kit to me screams getting up to an important objective and making sure that the other person is no longer on it, right? And she's tough enough to take a reprisal, uh, but she's not the character that's activating first to go in and take out a key character, right? She's not the Corvus Glaive that's going to go in there and just absolutely dumpster someone. I, I think she is your, you know, your second, maybe your third activation to go in, control a little bit of the board, maybe displace a bunch of the, the other team. Because uh, with that charge, I mean, you can charge in, push one person off one thing, and then turn around and, if you have the power, do an everything dies and throw somebody off another objective and maybe even throw them into your backfield where there's a waiting, I don't know, Thanos, Corvus Glaive, Proxima, whoever you're, whoever you're bringing with you, right? Yeah, I mean, definitely. And that's another thing, too, is in terms of where she plays, she's obviously affiliated with Black Order and... You know, the Black Order Thanos tractor beam thing is a thing. So having Thanos be able to pull someone into Black Swan, I think, could be very beneficial as well. But I see what you're saying, and I am really with you on it. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And she's definitely not got the purpose-built murder machine stuff that, like, a Corvus Glaive has, right? Like, that's there's a no-brainer there. There's no counting blanks when you're rolling dice, Glaive's Edge thing here. There's nothing that is... Like, guaranteed, I'm messing you up. Right, like no no rapid strikes or anything like that. Even look at her two basic attacks, her strike and her eye beam. They're both just five dice attacks. Exactly. Those aren't anything to write home about, right? They're not. But, yeah, but they each have some really nice wild triggers attached to them, not to mention the incinerate on eye beam. So you don't necessarily care about the damage being dealt with them because Black Order is not hurting for people to do a lot of damage. They're hurting for things that displace or put conditions. That's really insightful. And I agree with you that the five dice strike, the five dice I-beam, they don't excite you when it comes to damage. However, I do think when you combine that with the fact that I-beam has a pierce, telepathic suggestion is... Reroll defense dice, which we know the math on that is really good. I, I don't. And Jacob from Xavier Protocols did the math there, so you can check that out if you want. It's really good to make your opponent reroll defense dice. 
So I think that when you look at those two things in a vacuum, yeah, not as strong as, as other killy things, but I think when you layer it into the entirety of what you're seeing here, if you charge into an I-beam into a strike, you're probably ruining somebody's day. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with you there. And I'm not saying that she can't hit hard, because she, she obviously can. Um, I just don't think that that's her sole purpose. I think we have a very interesting yeah. hybrid character here. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that that's, you're exactly right. Like, I don't want to take that away. Like, you are exactly right. Like, she is very much hybrid. And she actually fits in a play style that I like a lot currently of someone who can kind of do both, can put the herd out, but also can play objective, can play control. And when I look at her and I think about ways to get her more dice, get her more access to her triggers, I think about bringing a character like Mordo with her. I think about bringing a character, I mean, obviously Thanos in affiliation with a little Death's Decree action is nasty. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those things where I, I think that we have a character that we're going to see on the tabletop a lot, Leland. I think she's very splashable. Yeah. Yeah, I think she's really splashable. I think she's a character that um, is one of these like interesting kind of hybrid characters. I think she's not really got like objective runner stuff. And I think she's a bit of a bruiser, you know, a bit of it because she does have a little bit of defensive tech. You know, like we, if you go back to that episode we did a while back with the archetypes of the different characters, I think she can kind of fit that role somewhat and not like she has assassin capabilities, but not as good as, as like the true assassin in this game, like Gamora or Corvus and stuff like that. So I think Bruiser or, or maybe like a beater type character that's going to be able to do that damage and stuff. I think she's going to be compared a lot to Rogue. Yeah, that was my next point is. I think Rogue and her have a lot of similarities, but just based on four versus four, I mean, oof, it's it's tough to say which one is quote unquote better right now because they're both really good and they both feel fill a really interesting role. And and Rogue doesn't really have the control elements that Black Swan does, but she can really ramp the damage and mess with people's power economy with her mutant absorption. In all fairness, playing around with power economy is a little bit of a type of control. I mean, it's not That's... board control, but it is action economy control, right? Yeah. No, I, you're damn right about that. You're damn right about that. So, yeah. I, I, I'm I just enamored yeah. with this character right now. I'm, I'm really, like, intrigued by her and what she brings to the tabletop. I don't think I've been this intrigued by a character in a while because there's just versatility for days. I think she's an absolutely stellar four or five threat character. I'm I'm actually really excited to see what she does for the game. Okay, so Leland, here's a big question that, you know, a lot of the talk around characters lately and is we found different boogie people within the Marvel Crisis Protocol community here. Do you see Black Swan as potentially falling into that category? Are we talking like is she is she like a, a Doctor Voodoo or Black Cat level sort of boogeyman? Yeah, yeah, something that people are going to be able to find a way to abuse, and and I say abuse because I, I don't think those are abused characters to for the record, but like oh, the, yeah, the conversation kind of turns to oh my god, this is too good. 
Uh, you know, I don't think she's going to hit those levels. I think she's going to show up in a lot of rosters, at least initially. Um, but I think she's... I think her kit is straightforward enough that I think a lot of players who are familiar and comfortable with the game will have some ideas on how to address her as a problem. Yeah. No, I think that's really that's a really good way to look at it right there because I agree with you. I don't think that... I think she's going to be really strong. She's going to be really splashable. And I think that, that she's going to be a fun character. And look, anytime there's a new character, expect to see it a lot. And we all remember those times where some character did something crazy. And look, Black Swan's going to do something crazy if you're going up against her or if you're playing her. She's... Well, I mean, talking about crazy characters, I uh, I have this vendetta against Wong. I can never take the bloody guy down <laughs> in my, the games I'm playing against him. And he's like crotch-kicked Hulk so many times into oblivion for me. It's ridiculous. Look, look, uh, as someone who has played a lot of Wong, he does have some pretty good defenses. I'm just saying, he never wants to die. He took Ghost Rider Chains of Damnation to the face multiple times for me and just laughed it off. So, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, Wong's a man. Don't don't hate on the Sorcerer Supreme of the MCU right now. Uh, there is one thing I want to say about Black Swan, and I think this is how a lot of people are probably going to address Black Swan, and this is also why I think the Power Gem is kind of a de facto stapled onto her. If you just ignore her and don't power her up, right, without the Power Gem, it takes her a long time to get the power to do anything in her tech. Right? Absolutely. So yeah, and I think it, that's why the, the power gem is is just going to be stapled right to her. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think that this we much like Corvus with the reality gem, we're looking at a five threat character <laughs> in a lot of ways. Like I think you can play her as we're going to talk about here in just a second with affiliations. You can play her without the power gem. She she has play without the power gem, but you have to manage her power economy really well because you know. There is so much defensive tech out there for physical attacks. You know, she has the strength five physical strike. So, you know, there's a lot of things that can kind of negate that a little bit or people rolling pretty good defense dice against something like that. So her power generation might be a little slow if you don't put her in places like Brotherhood, as an example, might be a fun place for her or A-Force comes to mind. I think Black Swan without the power gem kind of really would love to be an A-Force. I can definitely see her in A-Force. Um, I love the idea of her in Inhumans, actually. Oh, man, Inhumans is another great choice for her. I love that. Like, the layers of control you can get with her and Medusa sounds really fun. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, no, I, I, think, I think, like we said, she's very splashable. Anything that gives her some sort of power fixing, uh, she is just going to love. Yep. When, yeah. So, I mean, like, even, even Cabal, throw her into Red Skull Cabal, right? Oh, yeah, she'd love that, too. Love that, too. Still a little slower than the other ones, but, yes, that would be mega fun. Mega fun. So, obviously, Black Order, but uh, any other, like, interesting places you think you might want to put her? I kind of actually like the idea of her in Web Warriors as well. I think she's fast enough with her charge and medium movement to kind of keep up with some of the speedier webheads. But she offers a little bit of uh, punch to her that the web the web warriors typically don't have. Uh, but she brings enough control tech that the web warriors definitely love. Yeah, I was going to say, I think web warriors is a bit of a dark horse pick for her. And I think that if you play her in web warriors, you probably want her with the power gem just so she can be a threat off the rip. 
not only to grab objectives, but also to, like I said earlier, potentially charge I-beam somebody, then strike them, or maybe charge, strike, and then if you get lucky on the dice, everything dies. Like, there's a lot of interesting things that I think she plays well with in Web Warriors. But the fun thing I think about when you look at like her in Web Warriors as an example is that you have some bad matchups for Web Warriors, right? And I think Black Swan, if you splash her into your Web Warriors, maybe shores up a couple of those bad matchups and allows you to play something like a Demon's Downtown or something that's kind of more clumped up research station comes to mind as a web warriors like web warriors don't necessarily struggle on those but you know anything that's clumped up where they can't leverage their movement abilities and their control abilities can kind of be hard for them right and research station <laughs> provides control elements opportunities but being able to move and have someone that can do some damage and displace people i think is really going to be strong for them I think uh, just having the, the built-in incinerate to I-beam is also something that the Web Warriors just really appreciate as well, right? Oh, 1,000%. They appreciate that, let me tell you. Their four dice attacks get so much better when someone's incinerated. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Let me tell you. So, yeah, I definitely like that. And then I'm actually thinking about splashing her in my convocation just because, one, it's what I've been playing a lot of lately, and two... I think she's interesting there, but more so than there, I really think she's interesting in Defenders. Uh, I mean, the only thing I don't like about that one is that if you're running Defenders Affiliated, you already have a pretty expensive leader in Strange. Um, so if you're running Strange and Black Swan, that really does limit who your other picks are. It sure does, but my goodness, that sounds awesome. It sounds like a lot of fun control, and it sounds like... If you're able to put the power gem on her or not, but if you do put the power gem on her, now you're potentially hexing people with your I-beam that has pierce. I'm here for it. Well, it's also an I-beam that now you can also change the damage type, right? That's what I'm saying. I'm super here for it. And I, I don't disagree with you. I just, I think, I think the problem with putting her in defenders is more a defenders problem than it is a black swan problem. That's fair. That's fair. But... Some mad lad out there is going to do it. Looking at you, Brian, you know who you are. Well, I'm probably going to do it in a video at some point. There you go. Can't wait to see it. So now that we've talked about all of Black Swan and her Black Swaniness here, let's now take some show questions, Leland. What do you think? I say bring it on. All right. So first up, we have a question from Waffle. Black Swan with the Power Gem or Corvus with the Reality Gem? You take this one first. All right. So since we're talking about the difference of like one threat here, uh, adding one threat by having the Reality Gems, I'm going to assume Waffle is probably saying, are we taking Black Swan or Corvus? Not, you know, with that. Um, I think Corvus might actually edge Black Swan just a tiny little bit right now based on the current uh, state of the game. I do, however, think that um, there is definitely a place for Black Swan with the power gem. I'm going to be cheeky and say, why not both? Yeah. You, so... you got yourself an 18, 18 threat uh, crisis card going in there. You have uh, Thanos uh, kitted out with two stones, Corvus with a stone, and Black Swan with a stone. Go have fun. Yeah, I'm with you on that. That sounds really fun and like insane. 
with that, I think it depends on what you're trying to do. If you're playing Black Swan in Black Order and Corvus with reality in Black Order, I think you're taking Corvus eight out of 10 times. I, I think Corvus with the reality gem gives you a little bit more play into the objectives as well. Exactly. Like you've got more chances to flip certain objectives and stuff like that. So, so I think, like I said, I think it's eight out of 10 times. Like, I think there are instances I can't think of them off the top of my head uh, because there are, you know, I don't have enough experience playing with black order. Like I have some obviously played all this stuff, but uh, I don't have as much as other people, but I do think there are instances where you could say, okay, I'm not bringing Corvus and I'm going to bring black swan because insert reason. You know what I mean? So I think what would be really interesting with this one, though, is whether or not um, this displaces the whole husband-wife combination of Corvus and Proxima Midnight. Do we now see Corvus with Black Swan and Thanos for the trio? Yeah, I don't know, but I definitely think you can make a case for that, and I think it's a really strong case. That's That sounds really spicy. I mean, what is that? Uh, is it 18? Yeah, 18 threat? To get Thanos up there, or you could do a single gem, which why would you do that? But you can single gem Thanos and and play at 17 there, or you could potentially drop the power gem off a of black swan, play her in black order, and now you're playing at 17 there. I think there's a lot of versatility and a lot of options here. And it's one of those things that we're just gonna kind of have to see how it plays out because we haven't had her for long enough to really make a number one, this is definitive call, but I think that we can comfortably say the known quantity of Corvus over Black Swan right now. Yeah. So next up, we've got Jason Turner Minis says, what would you like to be included in an affiliation box for A-Force or Criminal Syndicate? Should the boxes include the leader or should they have a selection of models and then you pick up the leader you like? So that's referencing how we have this new Black Order affiliation box coming out. And this is a really great question and I'm going to take this one to start here because I think having a a force box implies a lot of interesting things and obviously you have a single character leader that's She-Hulk and you've got a lot of really great characters there and I could definitely see them maybe throwing like Medusa, Shuri, maybe Valkyrie and Crystal in a box. No, maybe not Crystal. Um, maybe Black Widow, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., something like that in a box together. If you're going to do an A-Force box, like maybe that, does that make sense? Hey, I was actually thinking instead of like Crystal or Widow, I was actually thinking Captain Marvel. Yeah, so, that's an alternate way of getting her outside of the core box, right? So I did think about that, but my hesitation on why Captain Marvel was because she's in the core box. And while the core box is certainly not a requirement for this game, it is such a value that it's one of those things that I could relatively expect people to have it, maybe? Question mark? You're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. So that's why I didn't include her, but I do love her inclusion, actually. I think that's a really, really good inclusion there. So... That'd be my one for A-Force. What about you for Criminal Syndicate? Uh, Criminal Syndicate, I think you absolutely have to include the big man himself. Gotta have Kingpin in there. 
Um, and yeah, I, I think like you're you're kind of spoiled for for who else you might want to toss in there. I think uh, I think Bullseye makes an excellent little two threat addition into uh, into Syndicate. Um, I think I like the idea of Myst- uh, is Mysterio Syndicate? Yes, he is. Okay, yeah, I like the idea of Mysterio being tossed in there as well. So you have a little bit of control. You have sort of a backfielder, and then oh, geez, who who would be a good maybe like three or four threat to go in there with them? Hmm. Omega Red. I I don't know. Omega I don't know. Red. I, I don't play enough Criminal Syndicate to to know who I would really like to add in there. I keep thinking Goblin. Goblin, I don't think is a is a good is a good mesh with the other suggestions there. Um, yeah. So. While you're thinking on it, I'm going to give you mine. So if I'm doing a criminal syndicate box, I don't think you include Kingpin because he is a single character box. And I think that these affiliation boxes are kind of like get one thing plus this thing to make the thing. Maybe like we don't know what the intent is, but like based on the one we have revealed, there's no leader in it. It makes sense, right? There is a card that we'll talk about in a little bit because there's a question about it that some people think might be a leadership. We have no idea, but Let's just leave that as it is. I don't think you have to include Kingpin in a criminal syndicate box. What I think you can do is bring in a character like Killmonger. I think you bring in Bullseye, like you said. I think you bring in... uh, I'm torn between these next two. I think you bring in Omega Red, potentially. He's my question mark one, right? But then... If you don't bring Omega Red, I think you definitely, definitely bring Mysterio, right? I think Mysterio makes a really good criminal syndicate. And then here's the last one, Taskmaster. Yeah, I can dig that. I I think that's a really interesting one, yeah. Uh, I do disagree with you on what you're saying about Kingpin, though, um, because it's also something that I, with the Black Order one, on one hand, I don't like the fact that there's not a leader in there. I kind of like to look at these boxes as sort of like a start collecting type thing where it gives you what you need out of the box to play that affiliation. And I think the only reason why we didn't see that with Black Order is because uh, Thanos is a more expensive box. He does come with the ultimate encounter. He's got his little throne and all that sort of stuff. So I think there's just a little bit too much in the Thanos box on his own to be included in an affiliation box. That's fair. Whereas with Kingpin, he doesn't have a lot of that extra that extra stuff. Um, and then on top of that, I, I believe Kingpin comes with a couple crisis cards as well, doesn't he? Yeah, I think he comes with at least one Mare Fisk. Although I guess that's not really a big factor because they can put whatever cards they want in there. Exactly. So I, I could see that, though. You make a good point. So in that case, if we did the A-Force one, probably include She-Hulk too. But anyways, moving on. Beelzebro, do you think there'd be any characters that would be leaders for multiple affiliations in the future, either with the same leadership or different, slightly different leadership, depending on what affiliation they're rocking? So this is a really interesting question. Any characters that would be leaders for multiple affiliations? So like maybe you have a Captain America Steve Rogers version that is leading the Avengers and one that's leading shield. And maybe you have like two different leaderships printed on the card. I think that's what he means here. And I could see something like that, but I doubt it. I think it's an interesting design space that they could play around with. 
but I think if they were to do something like that, I think it would be more likely in the form of a leadership card, kind of like what Convocation has. Yep. As opposed to as opposed to printed right on the card, I think printing it right on the card, I think that locks them into a little bit uh, too much, and it does take up real estate on the on the card itself. Exactly. That's definitely a factor we have to have here, and I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it. Half-assed ninja says, "What other teams do you see Black Swan fitting into? Brotherhood and A Force immediately spring to mind as nice alternate homes for her due to their power generation slash transfer leaderships." As we said during the affiliation section, nailed it. And then Beelzebro also wants me to ask you specifically, are you going to show up to the Windsor team event? Oh my goodness. That That is, if I recall correctly, I think that's like a five or six hour drive for me. Uh, I, I don't think I am. Um, I'm flattered that he wants me to. Uh, I just don't think it's in the cards. That's unfortunate. I know him and everybody else that's going to that event are going to be sad now. Way to go. You made everybody sad. I would love to, but I also don't have a team to come with me. I mean, um, I suppose I go. could drag Truth with me, but... Uh, just drag someone with you. It's fine. Shadow Marvel does this with gifts. He says, why are we getting Natalie Portman in Black Swan before we're getting Natalie Portman as Jane Foster, Thor, the mighty Thor? And uh, that's a very good question, Shadow Marvel. And um, I, I don't have a good answer for you. I, I'm just going to say I love the fact that he can actually accurately represent this with two different gifts of the same actress of the same actress playing two different characters with the appropriate names and everything. It's just, I think that's fantastic. Yes. I I gotta say you win the gift game there, shadow Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Nate asks, there is a rumor that will is attending an event this weekend. What list are you bringing and why? So, I haven't had a lot of time to get as much kind of roster testing as I usually like to do before events, but this is a casual thing. We're having fun rolling dice, having a good time. So I'm kind of using this as a testing grounds, if you will, this weekend. Doesn't mean I'm not going to try to be competitive because Lord knows I want to win one, but it's, it's more of a, let's see how this thing works. So the list I'm bringing is, uh, I know, also, I'm, I'm bearing the lead a lot here, and I hope that's okay. But uh, I also know that uh, Barncat's out there listening, and he's going to be really happy with what I say I'm going to be bringing. We're bringing Space Maw Convocation. Ooh, whoa. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited about this, and um, I've, been, I've been told the good word. The Herald of Doom that is Barncat has heralded his doominess onto me about... Maw with the Space Gem. So I'm bringing my kind of normal convocation list. Ancient One, Mordo, Clea, Strange Supreme, Voodoo, Wong, Toad, Magic, Medusa. And then we're throwing in Space Maw here, which is a sixth threat version of him. Cactus cards were taken. Blind Obsession, Bar with No Doors, Eyes on the Prize, Field Dressing, Brace for Impact, Orb of Agamotto, Plane of Poldock, Sacrificed, Ironbound Books of Shumagorath, and Shh. And then our crises selection is going to be Demons Downtown, Portals Overrun the City with Spider People, Intrusions Across the City as Seals Collapse. So I'm kind of going back to my original Season 7 TTS League Secure Crisis because I think playing Space Mall, I want to be a little more aggressive and I want to play in that kind of mid-zone. 
and not really get lumped into playing sword base, which I don't hate sword base for him, but I don't necessarily want to play that right now. So then Extract Crisis, we're doing Hammers, Senators, and Montessi Formula. So the idea with this list, and look, if I'm playing you this weekend and you're listening to this, feel free to use this against me. The idea with this list is to play as often as possible without Strange Supreme, which is really weird for me, and then bringing Space Maul and making some other convocation character my leader. And kind of using Maw as a kind of fill-in for what Strange does. Now, granted, they do not do the same things at all. But I feel like in order to fit Maw in, I have to leave Strange at home. Unless we're playing at something like 18 Threat, then Space Maw and Strange are seeing the board together. And hopefully, it's Murder Machine all the time, every time. That's actually a combination that's a little terrifying to think about. Yeah, I'm stoked to try that. <laughs> no, I, I'm going to admit, like, I, I've had to do a lot of work travel over the past couple of weeks, and so I, I didn't get to be on the Discord as much as I usually am. But when I came back, for this this weird cult of Space Maw had, had sort of taken root, and it confuses me. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, don't don't let Barncat slide into your DMs, or else he'll tell you all about it. I'm kidding. He's awesome. You're the man. But yeah, so that's what I'm taking, and I'm really excited. And don't worry, Suits, I will report back everything that happened next week. Red Fury says, what new leadership abilities would you like to see added in as a new affiliation or tacked onto an existing affiliation? So this gets into the kind of the minutia of like what I want to see in the game in terms of leadership abilities. And I honestly don't know. Like I, I can't think of an ability that I just really want to see on someone because... I don't really know, like, if someone had, like, a, like, pay one power and they get a charge or something, maybe. Like, I don't know. That'd probably be busted. But, look, I don't know in terms of what I want to see. However, I do want to see the Fantastic Four. That's what I want to see. You all know this. You've been here long enough. That's the affiliation I want to see. And there's got to be, with that one, some kind of a teamwork aspect, right? There's got to be some kind of way that if... If they're around each other, good things happen. I think that makes sense. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they how they tackle that with the Fantastic Four when and if they finally happen. Exactly. What about you? Do you have any kind of thoughts on that? Well, I mean, as far as an affiliation, uh, anyone who has followed me at all knows I will always uh, uh, preach about Alpha Flight. Got to get that Canadian representation on there. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, as far as leadership abilities, uh, something I would actually be really interested in seeing, uh, and this actually came up with a discussion regarding a possible defender's leadership, would be someone like Jessica Jones leaning into the investigative side of her of her sort of character Ooh. and give some sort of um, dice fixing for objectives. I like so that. Maybe, yeah, maybe something along the lines of like uh, when when rolling for an asset token, like on scrolls or senators or something like that, uh, it gives you a reroll. Gives you like a, a one die reroll or something like that. Yeah, that'd be cool. I like that. Yeah, and it's something we haven't we haven't seen in the game yet, right? Like I don't I don't I'm not aware of any sort of uh, dice fixing for objectives outside of Corvus with Reality Gem, right? Yeah, yeah, no, that's really good. I really like that. That's really that's that's nice. I like that a lot. Nathan says, <laughs> "Are you going to pick up the Quinjet?" I'll start with you. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely <laughs> not for me. Look, no, no, no question. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Look, 
It's an incredible piece of terrain. It's super cool looking. I already don't paint enough. There's no way that 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 I need to buy that. Now, that said, I probably will buy it, but I don't need to buy that. You know what I mean? Now, of course, there's also the cheeky answer that uh, no, no one's going to pick it up because it is uh, a non-interactive piece of terrain, according to AMG. Oh, well, I mean, once you buy it, it's your game. Um, but no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely picking it up. I think it's a great piece. Um, my only complaint about it is that it doesn't really mesh with the other terrain we've seen released by them so far. Yeah. So it is going to feel a little out of place. Yep, it's a little awkward. Panzer Harris says, now that they're getting new models and an affiliation box, is the stigma around playing Black Order fair? If you want to play them, how do you make the game less of a feels bad for your opponent? Now this is a good question. Not that they all haven't been good to this point, but there's a lot here. So first of all, the stigma of playing Black Order. There was a player that we had locally that I was friends with, so I jokingly said, plug your ears, kids. Only assholes play Black Order. Uh-oh. I was joking. It was a joke, and he knew I was joking. But at the same time, I realized that that was a sentiment that even in my joking, was there because that is sometimes a sentiment that's had around Black Order. Look, that is not true at all. Sam Finger Guns over there is one of the nicest people you ever met. He's not an a-hole. He just likes Black Order. There's nothing wrong with that. Play whatever you want. There's no stigma playing Black Order unless somebody puts a stigma on it. And again, I was joking when I said that, but I also realized that that's one of those things that could be damaging to someone who is interested in this game and maybe someone that was interested in this game that overheard me say that, you know? So I realized that. And I think that, yeah, there might be a stigma about it because this game is designed around objectives and Black Order played the game a little differently than kind of what we are used to seeing as it comes to objectives and stuff like that. So I understand the stigma. It's, it's tough when you go up against a Thanos tractor beam for the very first time in a competitive environment and you just don't get to play with your toys anymore for that game. It's it's a bit of a feels bad, but it doesn't mean that that anyone's a bad player for playing them, you know what I mean? So how do you make the game less of a feels bad for your opponent? Well, first of all, I think it all comes down to look, are we here for having casual fun or are we here at a competitive event. If you're at a competitive event, expect people to use the most effective tactics available, right? Now, you can still do that in such a way to where you tell your opponent, like, hey, man, you know, if your opponent walks up to the table, hey, I'm pretty new to this. And that, and look, that's also a tactic. I also recommend, hey, don't be an a-hole and tell people you're new at the game when you're really not and you've got hundreds of games under your belt. That's not cool. But again, you know, try to trust people and whatnot. So how do you make it not a feels bad? You just understand what type of game you're going to play right then and there. You know what I mean? I know the wargaming dad, he kind of can turn it on and off for the black order when he needs to. And you know, he's a, he's a really good example of a player that makes it fun for his opponent, even if he is playing black order, you know? Well, I think part of it also comes down to the fact that black order has, it, it's a very low skill ceiling to get into, but it has a very high skill ceiling to excel at. Mm, yeah. Uh, so I think that's a problem that you do run into that until you kind of work your way around Black Order, you might actually feel like you're on the receiving end of a lot of defeats. 
um, simply because the game is objective-based, and until you know how to like play around that, especially with a very aggressive team like Black Order, it can be a little difficult. Uh, but Black Order players who know what they're doing uh, are can be downright aggressive and mean, and I don't think there's anything necessarily bad or wrong about that. But it plays into exactly what you were saying, that there there does have to be a little bit of that social contract in the game that you're playing. And, you know, if you're playing just a pickup game in your in your FLG, uh, <clears throat> like, just, you know, understand that, read the room, right? Exactly. Um, but if you're in a competitive game, yeah, the, the gloves are kind of off at that point. And, you know, Blackwater players should not feel bad about using all the, the tools available to them. Exactly. Next up, we've got Sandbox. He says, BS, with or without the power gem, referring to Black Swan. We've already answered that. Also, she has a kit very similar to Rogue, which has proven to be pretty strong for a fourth red in her own right. Would you splash BS over Rogue? Well, look, I splash BS everywhere. I mean, just listen to this podcast, but no. <laughs> um, it depends. He says He also says, or would your roster make that decision? And that's exactly what it is. It depends on what roster I'm playing and kind of what I'm trying to go for again, I, I relate it to how I play. And for me playing her in convocation sounds really interesting. Playing her in web warriors sounds very interesting. If I'm playing brotherhood, would I splash her black swan over rogue? Probably not because rogues affiliated. So you can use asteroid M off of rogue, but would I play both of them there? Well, yeah, that sounds awesome. So, you know, I, I think it just all depends. What do you think? Sure. I, I think uh, I think uh, the roster is going to play a big part of this one because, uh, as I said, I think Black Swan has a little bit more aggressive control, whereas Rogue is a little bit more um, uh, aggressive economy control, right? Yeah. If if you want to use those terms, yeah. Uh, I think, like as far as my own personal play style goes, I think Rogue plays better into how I like to play. Um, but I think uh, I think. Black Swan, like if you're if you're looking for that piece that can get in there and just displace a whole bunch of things, she's like a very aggressive Shuri. She gets in and just displaces a whole bunch of things, right? Oh yeah. And you, you get a bunch of bruises. Uh, so I think it definitely comes down to the roster that you've put together and what exact what exactly what type of bruiser you need. Yeah, no, that's super fair. Uh, last thing that uh, Sandbox says here is, what should I play in Nashville this weekend? And listen. Uh, Sandbox is my friend Sean, and I've got to say, I I would love to see you try Guardians. I'm sure that Matt would uh, also maybe be playing Guardians, so you might have some overlap there. But I think Guardians would be kind of fun for you, or Brotherhood because I need some reps into Brotherhood, and if we get matched up, I could really you <laughs> use that as a as a barometer for where my space small convo's going. So. I'm actually gonna say Shield. There, you oh, play shield. there you go. Play shield. Do it. I'm here for it. Schultze says, in a roster with Black Swan, Black Dwarf, Black Widow, other Black Widow, Black Cat, Black Panther, and Black Bolt, who's your affiliation leader, and what is your game plan? What other three characters do you use to round out the roster? <laughs> and then, of course, Leland here, you commented, why are you this way? And I love it. I love it. Uh, so, yeah, who's my leader? Well, it's definitely Black Bolt, right? Because, look, Black Bolt has the power passing around thing. That sounds awesome. But uh, I think this would have to be one of those, like, play it where your leadership 
counts even if they're unaffiliated kind of fun things to do. Otherwise, it's Black Panther. So in terms of adding a character into this, though, I mean, I don't even know. What, what do you got for it? I don't even know where to begin. I mean, if you want to go thematically, uh, I mean, Sam Jackson was a Black Panther in his youth. So maybe we throw in some Nick Fury Jr. there. and I mean, oh. could we not put Ebony Ma in there? I mean, Ebony is, you know. It's Beauty Black. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I mean. Jean oh, Grey. Moon Knight. Moon Knight. <laughs> we're, we're obviously going with the color theme here. Oh, yeah, I thought that was the whole point. <laughs> yeah, so did I. Um, it's, it's definitely an interesting, it's an interesting thought experiment, uh, to that one. Um, I think a lot of it really depends on how the leadership and the affiliation works with, um, with his particular example. Oh yeah. Uh, It'd have to be one of those for funsies things. It's choosing existing leaderships. Like, I think you're absolutely right. I think Black Bolt with his ability to pass power around is is definitely where you want to be. Yep. Also Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch. Those are colors. Yeah, there we go. There you there go. Going. I love it. So, uh, and then uh, Half-Ass Ninja here says, obviously it's Black Cat, so you can play Janet Jackson's banger of a song. <laughs> oh, I love it. And uh, so, next up we've got David Mars, Spider-Ham Wen, says, after having played Convocation, how well do you like picking your leader? Is that a path AMG should start to incorporate generally, or is it only appropriate for limited affiliations? So I love that flexibility, but I absolutely think that that is a tool that should be wielded carefully. I I do not think that it's something that we need to see everywhere. And that's not me saying like, ooh, I just wanted to, I just want my toys to have this cool thing because I play them. And that's not like that. I just think that it's one of those things that it it could dilute the wrong things if you don't apply it with very intently. Does it make sense? I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a it's a great design space that AMG has kind of tapped into with uh, with how convocation works. I can definitely see some other theoretical affiliations uh, taking advantage of something like that, but it should not become the de facto way to do it. Absolutely. Barncat says, who is Space Mall and what does he do? He's a lot. <laughs> and, and he's, the, he's in my brain. He's That's in your exactly brain. what I've been asking for the past week. Yep, yep. Barncat has, has bored into our brains. With my, my DMs are, are just done, aren't they? Like Barncat's just going to slide right in there, isn't he? Sliding right in with the good word, let me tell you. And, and it's, it's good stuff. Brent says, in Swan's box is the tactics card, First of the Black Order, and it's also being included in the new Black Order four-character affiliation box. Any speculation as to what the card might be? Are we looking at an affiliation card like a convocation so we don't have to take Thanos to get a Black Order leadership? We don't know. I think the speculation currently around what most people think is that it's something like that. I could see it being something like that, I could see it being some kind of um, like versatile strategy type leadership thing where maybe you can use the backside of Thanos' leadership instead of the front side, maybe. That's but, a cool take. But, 
I mean, it says first of the Black Order, which means, like, I, I think of that as, like, a first mate type thing, more so than, like, a uh, actual Thanos leadership thing. But Thanos, I guess, could be the first of the Black Order. He is the leader of the Black Order. So that, like I said, the flippy thing, I, I don't know. It, it's one of those things where it, it seems to stand out that it might be a leadership thing, but we really don't know. And uh, I think it'd be really cool if that did happen, though. I think a really cool space that they could take it is almost like a backup leader, right? So if Thanos gets taken down, uh, this card steps up and Ooh. you can assign leadership to another character. So you're not actually out of it. Like you don't, you don't lose an, uh, an affiliation bonus as a result. That's really, yeah, that's spicy. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like the mechanic from uh, Infinity, the game, where you have your, um, uh, your lost lieutenant, but you can have other... Uh, you can have other characters who have special abilities that allow them to step up and take that leadership role. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's it's something that it could be. Um, I think speculation is probably going to be correct in that it's some form of leadership on a card. But again, it's speculation. Exactly. So Shadow Marvel says, follow up to that, and this is the last question <laughs> today. What kind of leadership does it have to be that would open up list building so it's not just Thanos Corvus Proxima with a better leadership? And and that's the thing. I think that it would have to be something, if it's a leadership, like we, if it's leadership, it would have to have a stipulation that you can't have Thanos in your squad. That'd be interesting. Right, because then I feel like if it doesn't have that and it is a really good leadership ability, well, then you have Thanos plus whatever this thing is that just starts even destroying things more. And I... I don't know how I feel about that. It would have to be thematically different enough from uh, from Thanos' leadership to make it interesting. Um, I actually am wondering if we can take anything from S.H.I.E.L.D. as sort of a an idea on what might be happening. Like maybe just a way to make them a little bit more aggressive or maybe even something along the lines of the initiative to uh, unlock... Um, uh, uh, what are they? The Black Order cards oh, for yeah. use with non-affiliated models, for instance. Yeah, being able to use Mothership on somebody that's not Black Order affiliated could be kind of cool. Yeah, just something that that provides a little bit more utility to it. Uh, I would love it if it was something like the Initiative. Um, I think that would be a really cool bit of tech for the Black Order, and I think it would it would go a long way to sort of rounding out what they can do in the game a little bit. Uh, but I also I, I also love the idea of you know maybe something that allows them to be a little bit more aggressive uh, as far as like you know something similar to to what uh, Fury does with Shield where like they get the the little bit of aggressive movement or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, no, it's I, I think it's it's a very exciting little tidbit, and I think we all really want to know what it is. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of knowing what it is, I think it's about that time, Leland. Where can people find you? Well, if people want to look me up, they can find me on uh, Facebook or Discord or uh, YouTube at Aegis Brand Studios. I uh, do plenty of bat reps, uh, try to get a battle report out every two weeks for Crisis Protocol. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty active on the, the House Party Protocol Discord as well. Uh, as you like to describe, it's a very chill place. Um, so, you know, you can always find me there and I'm, I'm always up for talk and shop. 
Oh yeah, always a good time. Check the link in the description. I will have the YouTube channel linked there. Really good battle reports. What's next on the docket for battle reports for you? Uh, so we got two coming up. Uh, for the life of me, I can't remember what's coming up this Friday. <laughs> um, I think it's... No, I can't remember what's coming up this Friday, actually, to be honest. Uh, but in early June, I uh, finally managed to get the Infinity Gauntlet uh, filmed up. So oh, we nice. got one of the Ultimate Encounters. Nice. Can't and, wait to see uh, that. Not, not spoiling anything, but Ant-Man's involved. I, oh, I love Ant-Man. He's good stuff. Shout out to Jeff for his Ant-Man love, too. And um, with that, Suits, you can find us at uh, House Party Protocol on Facebook. You can uh, come over to our Patreon, check out that. It's patreon.com slash housepartyprotocol. In there, you can pay as little as a dollar a month, which is like 12 bucks a year. You see, I did that math real quick there. To hang out in our Discord channel and come and chit-chat with all of us, chit-chat with Leland, everybody over there, and all those questions that you saw today came from that Discord channel, and I cannot express enough my gratitude to all of the patrons over there. It's really great to interact with all of y'all, to talk shop with you guys, and and to just get to know y'all a little bit. It's been really wonderful, and I love it, and I I can't thank you all enough. And to all the suits listening out there, whether you're a patron or not, giving me your time and everything, it's it means the world to me. And I just, I love it. And I hope that you are continuing to enjoy this show and everything that we do. Let us know how we're doing either on that Discord. You can send me messages over there at Facebook or you can send us emails at housepartyprotocolpod at gmail.com. You can also uh, just DM me over there on the Discords. You can find me over there. It's at HPP underscore Will and most of the uh, Crisis Protocol Discords if you want to give a shout out over there. And um, yeah, also real quick, kind of on the off the cuff here, we're going to be doing another giveaway for June and we're going to be giving away the Black Swan and Supergiant box as well as the Black Order affiliation box. So with that, Check the Facebook link for that. There will be a uh, notification about that coming up real soon. I'm going to finalize all of that for when I'm going to end it and everything for next week's episode. So be ready for that. And I hope that uh, all of y'all are excited for that. And uh, yeah, if you have an opportunity, please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. If your platform allows you to do that, it helps other people looking for crisis protocol content come and find their way here. And also, I haven't done one of these in a while, but uh, if you're interested, you can check out the warroomhobbies.com and use the code MCP2022 to get some dollars off of your MCP or other hobby goodness over at that shop. They do shipping, so have fun with that. And yeah, I think that's about it, Leland. Party on, Leland. Party on, Will. And power down suits. <laughs>